0: Several weeks ago, Nanette and I were on vacation, and we had dinner with uh, my folks and some extended family, which included an aunt and an uncle of mine. And a part of our conversation that evening was about public speaking, um, which is obviously a part of what I do vocationally. But it's also something my uncle does quite regularly. And a part of that conversation was about the differences in the roles Uh, that that we have when we speak or when we teach and those differences are pretty vast differences in things like setting and audience Um, I mean the guy was the commandant of the Marine Corps and he is the director of a national museum and in addition to a lot of other responsibilities so when he speaks he's talking to large groups of people which is obviously a little bit different than what I typically do but he also has a, a Arsenal of speeches that he has perfected that he can simply select from depending on what he has been Hired to talk about at any given occasion, which is also quite a bit different than What I do the context in which I teach Now I bring all of that up not to share meaningless tidbits from my vacation that you care nothing about which actually may be the case, but I bring that up because that conversation that we had that evening coupled with the section that we reach in James today caused me to think once again about what this portion of our worship services is all about. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Now I mentioned when we started this series over a month ago that at times we were going to go pretty quickly through the book of James, cover longer sections, and at other times we would slowed down quite a bit and maybe cover a verse or two. If you recall the first week of this series, we made it through a single verse. We're going to do a little better than that today, just a little bit though. Initially, today we were planning on going from James chapter 3 verse 1 all the way through verse 12, but when we got into the material and started writing out these messages about a month ago, we, we decided that We weren't going to be able to cover everything from this section that we wanted to in a single half-hour block, so we're splitting it up. This week, we will cover two verses. So we're doing better than the first week. We'll cover two verses. Next week, then, we will pick it up and go all the way through chapter three, verse 12. So slowing down quite a bit today, we begin reading James chapter three, verse one, where it says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is interesting. It's especially interesting for me to talk about this. But James seems to affirm here that there are good and bad, or at least good and weighty aspects of teaching leadership. And so he warns, it it might be really appealing to pursue a position like teacher, to pursue a life like that because it seems like it's a position of notoriety. I mean, people, at least a small group of people, know you. You have a little bit of influence, and all of those things can seem really appealing. But he warns, don't go about it for the, right, for the wrong reasons. Do for the right reasons. First of all, though, because it's not all a walk in the park. You know, there are some quite challenging aspects of teaching. There's quite a bit of pressure. But what is more, James seems to indicate that it is a weighty responsibility that has very real consequences. And he points to the weightiness of teaching by indicating that those who teach will be judged with greater scrutiny. They won't be judged by a a separate criteria, but they will be judged with greater scrutiny. Now, I don't think what he's getting at, I don't think he's intending to deter everybody from pursuing a life like that, especially if you feel genuinely called to teach. And if you are gifted in that area and those gifts have been affirmed by the community, he isn't discouraging that. Because, of course, teaching is an important part of community life. And if it's important, then some in the community should pursue that, and those who choose to pursue it, should be encouraged and equipped for that task. Now, teaching is obviously not the, mo- the, the only important thing that happens here, and we wouldn't even argue that it is the most important part uh, of community life out of all of the other forms of ministry, but it is undoubtedly important. And great care must be exercised not only in the selection of teachers, but great care must also be exercised by those who would teach. They must be careful to not only watch their doctrine closely, but to also make sure that their lifestyle lines up with the content of the message they proclaim. This is what Paul tells Timothy when he says, watch your life and your doctrine closely, both Matter and both are the, a part of the role of a teacher. I think it was Saint Athanasius who said, "You cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself." So both content of the message proclaimed and lifestyle of the teacher are an important part of teaching. We'll come back to that that idea in a moment. But are you ready for a little bit of honesty? No. No, Steve is not. I'm going to go for it anyway, okay? Now, it it can be a little bit awkward for me to talk about this because it does feel very much like I am preaching to the choir. So I I don't know if I should just dismiss everybody and stay in here alone and preach to myself. I don't think that's what I should do. So I, I do think this is important, though, for all of us to think about and understand even if you don't teach and even if you don't have a desire to ever serve in that role which maybe many of you it seems like we have a lot of introverted folks in our congregation and for some standing up in front of a group of people and teaching would be a nightmare but even if that is you i still think this is important for all of us to think through the role of teaching in the community So back to this little bit of honesty. I personally have had to come to terms with the fact that what I say up here on a weekly basis has real consequences. That it might in some way impact the way somebody in here views the world or how they view the faith we are a part of or how they understand and see God. And I have to admit that is a really heavy burden to carry. It's a weighty responsibility, and I don't take that lightly for for some of the reasons that James points to here. I understand that there will be great scrutiny because teaching has very real consequences. And of course, I'm not delusional uh, enough to think that everybody in here is going to end up thinking exactly like I think on every issue. That's not the goal. I don't think that's my role, at least I hope it's not my role, because if it is, we are in trouble. But have you ever stopped to wonder why we spend so much time with teaching at each of our weekend gatherings? Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I wonder that all the time. Anytime you talk for more than five minutes, I start wondering that. The nervous laughter is uh, revealing that that is the case, so we'll just keep... (laughs) going. I think about these things quite often, unsurprisingly, as that's a part of my role. But I think it's important that we make the distinction that there is a difference between indoctrination and a teaching that challenges and invites deeper thought. So our goal every Sunday in teaching is not that we would all end up with 100% agreement on every issue. Instead, we want to encourage each of you to think deeply about your faith. Now, some would argue that it is the teaching portion of the worship service, those 25 to 30 minutes, or for some churches, those 60 to 90 minutes. And that's not an exaggeration, by the way. So if you get tired of hearing me talk, just remember it could... Always be worse, I think. But some would argue that it is teaching, that it's the verbal proclamation of doctrine that is the most important thing that occurs when believers get together. I don't really buy into that. Um, I believe everything we do has its place, and I believe everything we do here on Sundays is very important. I think for us, the most important thing we participate in on a weekly basis, takes place right up here as we gather around the body and blood of Christ, as we respond to his invitation and trust that he is meeting us through this sacrament. And yet, obviously, we do believe teaching is important. I mean, we devote a lot of time to it. So if it is important, I think it's wise that we would all have a basic understanding of why we allocate so much time to this, why we believe it's important, and then what we believe it is and what it is not. Now, to begin considering that, I want to read some of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In that section, he spends quite a bit of time talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and then he goes on to compare the church to a body which has many parts, and all of those parts are working together to form a properly functioning Unit. In fact, all of those parts have to work together because they are interconnected in such a way that if one member of that body suffers, then every other member feels the pain that that one member is enduring. And if one member of the body is honored, then every other part of the body rejoices in their honor. And then he goes on to say this in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, our purpose here is not to get into all of those things Paul is talking about, but the answer to the questions he poses is no, not everybody has all of those gifts, but each of those gifts are still vital for the health of the community. So for Paul, the role of the teacher within the community was essential to health. Teachers were responsible, on one hand, for the dissemination of doctrine, but also to help the community grapple with our sacred text. And not only grapple with our sacred text, but to help the community wrestle with other practical issues of trying to live as a part of the story that is told in our sacred text. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul addresses something similar when he's talking about the unity of the body, and then he lays out that famous five-fold ministry of his. In verse 11, he says, and he gave the apostles, it's going to sound similar to 1 Corinthians 12, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes so a part of the teaching role is the dissemination of doctrine but like all of those other offices that Paul points to here in Ephesians, teaching, just like those other roles, is intended, at least in part, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul is addressing his dear friend Timothy, and he says this, "...what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also." This idea of passing it along. Teach others and then encourage them to teach others and it has this ripple effect. But again, we have to understand that there is a difference. There's a fine line between a teaching, teaching doctrine and encouraging a congregation to think deeply about doctrine and to think deeply about the things of God. There, there's a difference between that and simple indoctrination. Indoctrination differs from teaching in that when people are indoctrinated, they are not encouraged to think about doctrine deeply. They're not encouraged to think about the life of faith deeply, but are rather informed, instructed to adopt or believe in a set of beliefs uncritically without having to give those ideas much thought at all. Now, this is a delicate balance for us to find, to be sure, but it is one that we hope to strike. Because as a community, we are committed to Orthodox Christian thought. We are committed to the doctrines of the church that have stood the test of time, especially those that are expressed in the historic church creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, which we proclaim and affirm corporately on a regular basis. We did that this morning and we hold tightly to those doctrines. We believe they are that important. There are other issues though that we may have opinions on. There are issues that I personally have opinions on and by the way I think my opinions are right or else I wouldn't hold those opinions. But there are some issues where I think my opinion on that issue is right with a measure of humility. At least, I hope it's with a measure of humility. So we hold some of those non-essentials with an open hand rather than a clenched fist. Unfortunately, though, I think at times we have insisted on uniform belief across the spectrum, even when it comes to some of those issues on the periphery, Because it's tempting to think that approaching doctrine in that way will ensure that everybody stays close to the center of the faith. But I think in the end, that approach runs the risk of pushing people away from the faith, which is obviously something we want to avoid. And so this is where we're trying to strike this balance. Remaining faithful to Orthodox Christian thought, but understanding that every issue we think about, we're not going to know with any degree of certainty. So one of the great tragedies in the church is that occasionally those who have been entrusted with shepherding responsibilities of God's flock have instead scattered the sheep. This is one of those weighty things for somebody like me to have to think about and perhaps you've seen this take place or experienced this. It's not altogether uncommon, nor is it new. It's not just a challenge for the church today, but it has always been a challenge for the people of God. That those entrusted with shepherding the flock, there's this tendency to instead push the sheep away from the flock. This is what, what the Hebrew prophet Jeremiah had to say about it in verse 23. Or chapter 23 verse 2 he said woe and when when he says woe that sounds like a good thing but but it's not woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture declares the lord Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. That's heavy. And I think that great challenge, that tendency to scatter the flock, is one of the reasons James warns about the serious nature of the teaching role in a community. Because as a teacher, your words have the potential to scatter the flock, which is a serious evil worthy, for Jeremiah, worthy of the pronouncement of woe or anguish. And so this is another balance that we try to strike. Teaching is important. James says not everybody should become a teacher because teachers will be judged with great scrutiny. I like how St. John Chrysostom put it. Chrysostom was an early church father of the 4th century. Uh, For a time, he was the Archbishop of Constantinople, and he was a teacher and a preacher, a man who was known for his oratory ability. In fact, his preaching earned him the name Golden Mouth what a nickname, right? Golden Mouth. So he was clearly a man who understood the importance of teaching and the weighty responsibility of that. And he said this, not directly related to the office of a teacher, but I think it points to the balance that is needed. He said, let us always guard our tongue, not that it should always be silent, but that it should speak at the proper time. James, understanding that the role of a teacher in a community is vital, tempers that a little bit and says, but not everybody should become a teacher. Teaching is important, but great care must be exercised. We're going to start wrapping this up shortly, but by way of conclusion, I want to do something a little bit different this morning, and I want to take a few moments Since I am one of the primary teachers in our congregation, I want to take a few moments to reaffirm my commitment to you as a teacher and as a leader of our congregation. So I understand that this is a serious role. And I'm committed to do my best to help lead our community into deeper levels of faithfulness. But I'm not always gonna be right about everything. And I, too, may go on a theological journey throughout my life where some of my opinions on certain issues may shift. But even if that's the case, my number one goal in terms of my teaching responsibilities is to always remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to encourage and challenge each of you to think deeply about your spiritual walk and to encourage and challenge you to grow in your faithfulness. And I will always do my best to remain faithful to those goals. I'll do my best to remain faithful doctrinally, to remain faithful behaviorally, and to serve you as you all move towards that same goal. Because we're really all striving towards the same goal and that is is Christ-likeness. I am truly honored to be your pastor. I truly am. I don't take it lightly. I'm humbled that you have trusted me with that role, but to be upfront, there are going to be times when I fail. Because I too am human, and I am in the process of discovering wholeness myself, just like you are. So James goes on to say this in verse two. We're finally making it to that second verse I promised we'd get through. He said, for we all stumble in many ways. Verse one, not everybody should become a teacher, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now next week we are going to return to this idea, the idea that an ability to control the tongue represents an ability to live perfectly. If you can control the tongue, it represents an ability to exercise moral rigor in every area of life. And we will talk then specifically about the image he uses here of the bridal, but for now we focus on how this idea of the importance of our speech relates to teachers. And not just a teacher that stands up here in front of you all, but those who teach our children. And those who teach in the context of a small group. Austin and I are not the only ones that teach in our congregation. There are many of you that have teaching responsibilities. This doesn't come as a surprise, but we do live in the age of celebrity pastors and celebrity teachers because like many other arenas in our culture, the cult of personality becomes a powerful force, and that same temptation exists in the church. Charismatic individuals can win the hearts and the devotion of people, and that's not necessarily always a negative or unhealthy thing but I do think there are dangers associated with that phenomenon. And I think what James teaches here provides some instruction that hopefully slows that process down a little bit. By the way, when we talk about the age of celebrity pastors, I'm under no illusion that that is me or that that will ever be me. But I still think it's something that we as a community need to be cognizant of. I think it's something that we still need to guard against and refrain from allowing leaders and teachers to be elevated too high. And that's not just something that you need to do, but that's something I need to do as well because there are teachers and leaders that that I look to for my cup to be filled. There are teachers that I consume content from, and, and so the danger exists for me, even as a teacher, to elevate other leaders and teachers to a place that is unhealthy. As the leader of the church in Jerusalem, James admits that leaders and teachers are not perfect. He says, we all stumble in many ways. At times, though, I think, unfortunately, leaders are seen as sometimes being superhuman in some way or without flaw, without temptation, or at least never yielding to temptation, always exemplifying Christ-like character. And while that's the goal, that's the goal for all of us, at times it isn't the reality. Maybe that comes as a, as a surprise for you, that I am not perfect. If you ask Nanette, it is no surprise to her. James says, even leaders are human and must be seen as such. I've always loved how Eugene Peterson described the church, described pastoral leadership within the church, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's worth revisiting in the context of what James says here at the beginning of chapter 3. This is what Peterson said. Churches are communities of sinners, communities of sinners, gathered before God week after week in towns and villages all over the world. The Holy Spirit gathers them and does his work in them. In these communities of sinners, one of the sinners is called pastor and given a designated responsibility In the community. Communities of sinners, one of the sinners in that community is called pastor and given a designated responsibility. We all stumble. We are all in the process of personal reformation into the character of Christ, even leaders and pastors. And so if we elevate pastors or teachers, placing them on a pedestal of supposed perfection, when they fail, not if, James says, everyone fails. Our our scripture reading this morning said, if you think you're without sin, you deceive yourself. When they fail, the danger is that we will be distraught. That our faith will be shaken. Because if we marry our faith to personality, then our faith becomes subject to the rise and the fall of that personality. And that's not a healthy place for us to be. Well, if they couldn't do it, if they couldn't live perfectly, how am I expected to, to ever measure up? Or if they didn't practice what they preached, maybe that whole thing is a charade. Maybe that whole thing is nonsense that I have bought into for far too long. When we elevate teachers and leaders too high, we misunderstand what this role is about, and we put ourselves in a position where their success or their failure affects our faith. So I think we all learn something from these two verses in James. Those that have no interest in ever teaching... I still think there's something to be gleaned from this, and that is that we always guard against elevating teachers and leaders too high. For those that would consider becoming a teacher, feel gifted in that way, don't go into it for the wrong reasons. Great care must be exercised when it comes to the selection and the implementation of teaching, and then those who teach. Guard your lives and your doctrine closely. James suggests that the teacher places him or herself in danger of severe judgment. Why? Well, simply put, because their ministry is related to the part of the body that it is most difficult to control, the tongue. And there's a warning about speech for all of us there, but that's what we're going to turn to next week. Would you stand this morning? Kevin, if you and Ed want to come up. We're going to conclude this morning as we do each week gathering around the table of our Lord, gathering around the body and blood of Christ. And this morning we remind ourselves that while each of us look to human individuals for instruction and as examples in the faith, ultimately we turn our attention to our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is faithfully leading us in this life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for leaders and teachers that are helping us, aiding us in our pursuit of faithfulness to your call. We pray for those in this community who fill that role, fill that role with our children, who fill that role in a small group setting. We pray for those outside of this community that we look to for instruction at times. We pray that you would nourish them. Nourish those of us in this community who teach. Help us find our fulfillment in you. Help us find our fulfillment in you. That we might lead in a way that is healthy. That we might lead in a way that is life-giving. As some of us have been entrusted with different teaching and leadership roles within the community, remind each of us, Jesus, that you are our great shepherd. You are our great shepherd. We look to you for guidance. We pray that you would lead us today and tomorrow into your ways. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. We invite you to join us at the table. If you're not a part of this congregation, we still invite you. You're responding not to our invitation, but to the invitation of the Lord.